When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. Again, this is a very active time in sports, so we've got quite a bit to go over today. So uh, we're going to get through a lot of what went down with the NFL draft uh, uh, last night and today, uh, which was rounds uh, four through seven. Uh, also got to talk about the NBA. we got game seven tonight between the Celtics and Bucks. So I'll give my picks for that. And the unceremonious exit of the Oklahoma City Thunder, courtesy of the Utah Jazz. Uh, That is also a topic that needs to get discussed. But I'm going to begin with the NHL here because I want to talk about this uh, for a bit because hockey doesn't get nearly enough love in my opinion, but I'll I'll go through what uh, some of my thoughts were on the action today and last night. So we just saw... Uh, Tampa Bay gets smoked by the Boston Bruins. Uh, you, you know, it, Tampa lost the game 6-2, but it was the way in which they lost because they were close until the third period where Boston really put the foot down. I, I looked at this game, and I was very curious to see what Tampa was going to show me tonight because I did not like how Tampa approached the uh, the Jersey series. I I didn't feel the fire from them. I, I thought that there was a lot of areas where New Jersey, if they were a better team and a little bit more experienced team, they probably could have punished Tampa Bay a bit more. Uh, Tampa just did not necessarily have uh, the that, uh, first uh, line clicking between Stamkos and Kucherov. Uh, it, it again persisted today. Stamkos just has not put up the numbers that it, you really would expect a top uh, uh, top of the order scorer uh, to do in the NHL. I mean, as much as uh, we crush uh, uh, Alexander Ovechkin for his playoff performances, you know, the guy brings it. Stamkos, meanwhile, you know, this is multiple playoff series. I mean, yes, he, he was hurt last year, so, you know, he, he got the pass there. But, you know, at the end of the day even with the Stanley Cup runs that they've made, it really wasn't coming down to the play of Stamkos. It was coming down to the play of guys like Kucherov 
and then you got guys like Alex Kalorn, uh, you know, you end up throwing in uh, Hedman and Strowman. It's been kind of the role players that were uh, bringing uh, Tampa Bay along. And then even uh, when they were making a deep run uh, previously, uh, two years ago, you had it uh, where it was uh, the likes of uh, Jonathan Durant uh, uh, being uh, the catalyst. Uh, you know, the issues with uh, Tampa that I see at least stem from the fact that the top line isn't producing. Uh, they, they threw JT Miller up there today. And, you know, it still looked like it was a, a team that looked a bit lost because uh, Boston's a number one line between uh, Marchand, uh, Bergeron, and Pastranic just smoked them today, uh, you know. The uh, disparity between the two squads couldn't be even more uh, abundantly clear because that was the difference in the game. Uh, you got a couple of goals by Marchand, uh, goals uh, by uh, Bergeron as well. Pastranic was in the mix. I mean, Boston's top line handled their business. They kind of took care. Uh, they took care of Tampa. Uh, Tampa's got to step it up because again, I didn't like how they played that New Jersey series. They seemed a little bit soft. And, you know, that's not going to get it done against Boston. And it definitely isn't going to be enough to beat the Penguins. Uh, you know, the Penguins, as much as I would want to see them get knocked off, I cannot see in any scenario where unless Sidney Crosby also goes down with an injury, because uh, you already got Malkin hurt, but if Crosby goes down with an injury, then I could say uh, Washington is finally going to get over the hunt with Pittsburgh. But even with one of those guys uh, fully healthy, the Caps are not doing anything against the Pens. It's not happening. Uh, you know, there are too many holes in the cap psyche where when they face superior competition, their decision is to roll over. When they're playing inferior competition they still feel the playoff pressure of, oh my God, everyone is expecting us to win this game. Uh, what are we going to do when we're struggling and they can't seem to put a team away? You know, those issues, I don't know how they're going to fix them other than just uh, doing what St. Louis did against Chicago uh, last year and just knocking knocking a team out of playoffs and just sucking it up. Uh, but I just don't see uh, the horses on that uh, Capitals team uh, to score enough points to actually do that against the Pens. They're, they're a smaller team than Pittsburgh, and they don't score as well as Pittsburgh. I don't see how that is in any way, shape, or form a recipe for success. So I think the Capitals are in uh, big trouble. Uh, the fact that they blew yet another lead uh, in uh, their postseason history with Pittsburgh coming, down, uh, coming back from two goals down to win game one. Uh, I, I just don't like how that sets up for game two tomorrow night. Meanwhile, last night, uh, you had game one between uh, Nashville and Winnipeg. And, you know, another team that I was a little bit worried about was Nashville, just because I didn't like how they played that series against Colorado until the closeout game. I thought that might actually give them a little bit uh, more impetus to uh, get their heads together and, uh, play bully ball uh, or uh, just a, a big boy uh, hockey be- because, uh, you know, Winnipeg took it right to them last night. 
they couldn't uh, they couldn't knock Winnipeg down in front of that in front of Rene. They were able to get in front of Rene. They basically uh, won the puck battles left and right. Uh, you know, I know uh, uh, Nashville could say that they won the speed game. They got they were able to create some chances, but when it came right down to it, uh, the Winnipeg Jets uh, were able to uh, get in front of net, and between all the shots that Nashville was able to generate from the point, Connor Hellebuck did not have difficulty pick up picking up the puck. Uh, Hellebuck had played a hell of a game, but uh, Nashville was not able to get anyone in front of net. I mean, uh, Winnipeg was just bossing them all over the ice, uh, basically, and keeping them out in front of... Uh, away from the, in front of the crease by Hellebuck. So Hellebuck had a clean pocket to actually uh, navigate the net and make uh, saves from the point. So uh, Hellebuck did not, even though he gave up uh, a goal to break his scoreless uh, streak at 160-plus minutes uh, in the playoffs, you know, I, I look at that and say that what uh, Nashville really needs to do, I mean, they lost 7-1, but... They really need to get a little swag back. Uh, so uh, I would say game two becomes a must win, but not just for the sake of winning, just to show Winnipeg that they actually have reasons to be afraid of you because uh, they will uh, just keep uh, move, uh, moving on top of them and uh, uh, beating them up. Meanwhile, uh, you had... Uh, actually, was it six... Now, uh, now, oh, actually, no. The seven-one score was uh, uh, Vegas over uh, San Jose. That's the other matchup I, uh, I'm going to be talking about because the game's coming up. But uh, in terms of uh, just uh, it's some of these matchups, you you just have a, a case where I I think Tampa, I mean, uh, I, I think Nashville, uh, even though they lost four-one, uh, you know, it was not. It was not a scenario where it was a close four one. I thought it was a pretty uh, pretty obvious uh, case of uh, they got handled and they got handled pretty good. So uh, Nashville's gonna have to step up the game a bit. Coming up now, uh, uh, at least in about a, in a little over an hour, uh, you've got San Jose. Uh, looking to try to even the series against uh, Vegas, uh, Golden Knights. And, you know, Vegas took uh, San Jose to the woodshed with that 7-1 win. Uh, the issues that I saw with San Jose, not the least of which was uh, Evander Kane losing his temper and getting himself suspended for this game for a cross-check to the face, is the fact that uh, San Jose just looked really small against uh, Vegas. Uh, Vegas... Uh, they kind of bullied San Jose, and unlike Anaheim, they uh, did not put themselves in the penalty box. Uh, Vegas uh, blitzed uh, San Jose early and often and just uh, took the wind out of San Jose's sails. Uh, I think in Game 2, San Jose is going to make it imperative to put some pressure on Vegas and avoid uh, avoid making some of the turnovers uh, that uh, plagued them in game one because uh, Vegas made them pay for every turnover that they made, it seemed like, in that game. So uh, I I worried about San Jose just from the standpoint of I thought uh, at the end of the day that Anaheim was not playing good hockey in the playoffs. 
whereas Vegas swept the Kings team that was playing very good hockey. It was just that Vegas was just on a slightly higher level uh, when the Kings were playing them. So uh, I, I look at this game as a, s- a situation where San Jose desperately needs to win this game too tonight because going down 0-2, yeah, you're going back home, but I think Vegas is going to take at least one of those games in San Jose. Uh, Vegas has been able to uh, translate their game onto the road as well, and that is a very scary proposition for these teams out west. Uh, so uh, this uh, this should be a very physical game uh, tonight because I think uh, San Jose is probably going to put up their best fight in the series tonight because if they can't get a W tonight, uh, this could be a quick series again for Vegas. All right, now. Uh, let's uh, get into uh, the NFL draft here because uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll cap off uh, uh, the night with the NBA and the, my game seven picks uh, for uh, Boston and uh, Milwaukee because uh, uh, we should have had a game seven with uh, Oklahoma City and Utah except the Thunder uh, decided to uh, take a little powder for various points of the game and allowed Utah enough time uh, to burn off the clock so that Oklahoma City could not uh, make a comeback in the fourth. But be that as it may, uh, without much further ado, I'm going to give you my thoughts on the NFL draft and general who I thought were some of the winners and losers. Now, again, the caveat here is I know folks are going to say, well, how can you make a split uh, second decision on who's going to be a good uh, NFL player it's an inexact science. You don't know how guys are going to develop. You're not going to be sure how, when certain guys get money, how they're going to respond, and this, that, and the other. All that being uh, taken into consideration, though, you can get a sense of what teams are thinking or not thinking uh, with some of these uh, uh, draft moves because you can see who did their homework and actually put together a body of work where you had a consistent message as to what they were valuing and what was the overall game plan for each team. So uh, going through some of the winners uh, that I saw in the NFL draft uh, this year, uh, got a couple, you know, got some uh, winners, but it got a bunch of losers that uh, I'll talk about as well. And I'll uh, break down why I felt uh you know, we had some real head scratchers this year because I, I think there were some folks that were either mailing it in or had just been out of the game so long that, you know, they they did what they did. But uh, uh, we, we, we had some we some we had some classic picks that seemed as though Al Davis was uh, back in charge. Uh, but uh, without much further ado, uh, let's get into the winners and losers. All right. So the. Winner of the draft, you know, and I changed this at the last minute because I I had to go back through it again just to make sense of it all because I thought they paid a higher price than they actually did. But the winner of this draft, instead of it being the Philadelphia Eagles, who were very, very close to winning this draft, the winners of this draft are the New England Patriots. And I'll tell you why. New England... After having two first-round picks, uh, which ended up being Isaiah Wynn and uh, Sonny Michel, the teammates from Georgia, loved both of those guys. Those were the 
uh, two players that I actually uh, was looking at for the Giants, if we had traded down instead of taking Saquon Barkley, uh, I, I still think these were kind of the players that we could have actually gone with to bolster the running back position and uh, bring some, uh, a couple of guys in on the offensive line. But the reason why the Patriots won this draft is a trade that they actually made. And it's a very head-scratching trade because uh, basically the Patriots acquired offensive tackle, so he's a right tackle, Trent Brown, from San Francisco in exchange for uh, their third-round pick, which was at the back end of the third round. That was pick number 95. And they also got a fifth-round pick from the 49ers. This one is a head-scratcher because I talked about this before uh, with my dad uh, the other night. Uh, the 49ers took Mike McGlinchey with the ninth overall pick in the draft, and it made no sense to me because McGlinchey had no spot on the team because you had Joe Staley and you had Trent Brown, both of whom are Pro Bowl caliber tackles. They, the pick made no sense. To put into a context... Why uh, the pick made no sense is the fact that the Giants made Nate Solder, the former ta- uh, tackle for the New England Patriots, the highest paid tackle in the league, despite the fact that he's not even the top five t- tackles in the league. But the Giants had to overpay for him. Uh, in terms of uh, Trent Brown, of how underrated he is and under the radar, because I... I really, really do not understand how Trent Brown uh, uh, factored into this. Uh, the only tackles that r- realistically do uh, are as young as Trent Brown and as effective as Trent Brown would be essentially Tyron S- Smith of the Cowboys. Uh, because uh, uh, Trent Brown, uh, given his age, I mean, he's not even 26 yet. He's in the prime of his career. The Patriots literally acquired someone to cover uh, Brady's blind spot for the next, uh, well, however long Tom wants to play for, essentially, at this point, since he's gotten rid of every competition that that could have taken his job at this stage. Uh, He has his new left tackle in place. And it only it only cost the Patriots a third round pick. That's insane. Uh, you know, in terms of pass protection, the Patriots just took care of uh, any concerns that they would have had. And for whatever reason, uh, the actual uh, cost of the pick was a third round pick on the back end. And going into that uh, third round pick, uh, you know. San Francisco, now, it just boggles my mind because San Francisco used that pick to take Tavares Moore from Southern Miss uh, as a safety, literally replacing Eric Reed. Eric Reed, who could still be a very serviceable NFL safety, is one of the better safeties in the league. The only reason why Eric Reed doesn't have a job with San Francisco at the moment is because of the kneeling issue. We're back to the stupid kneeling issue. You know, the fact that they couldn't figure uh, sort this out with Eric Reed cost them a right tackle for years to come. 
and they had to make another trade with the Patriots to uh, and gave up more assets to uh, to replace Eric Reed. It's just mind-numbingly dumb. I don't understand these NFL teams. Honestly, I I would put the 49ers near the bottom of the pack in terms of the losers in this draft, except for the fact that there were so many other boneheaded decisions made by some of these teams that the, the 49ers somewhat get spared in a bit. It's almost as if I had to grade on the curve because of the stupidity involved with some of these teams. But yes, I put the Patriots as the winners of this draft because of the fact that they literally solidified the issue on the offensive line protecting Tom Brady. And all it cost them was a third-round pick. That is essentially winning the draft by not even having to do as much work as everyone else. It's working smarter, not harder. The other name you should look out for with New England's draft uh, is the six-round pick Braxton Berrios from the U. Uh, basically, Berrios is perfect fit for New England's uh, style of offense. I mean, I envisioned him more in the role of De- Deion Branch and uh, uh, the recently departed Danny Amendola, but Berrios can get open in space. Uh, he can find holes in the zone. Uh, uh, Brady is going to make very good use of uh, use of him, and like I said, just the annoying type of receiver that the Pats love to covet. So uh, again, working with what you do best. Uh, I mean, the Pats have sewn up the tackle spot and addressed uh, the wide receivers that they uh, got rid of uh, with more guys that can get into space and are incredibly quick. Uh, you know, I look at this and I just shake my head because it it frustrates the hell out of me because, you know, time and time again, these teams know what New England wants to do and they still enable them with making these boneheaded decisions. And why would you, tr- I, I, you know, I don't get why uh, San Francisco would actually have traded Brown. And that Unless that was quid pro quo for the Jimmy Garoppolo trade. That we will never know between those two franchises. Uh, that trade made no sense. And it's the reason why New England won this draft. Even though the experts will never say that New England won the draft. But they really did. Uh, because of that trade. Another team that I actually give a lot of credit to in this draft. Just stems from being uh, that they, 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 nailed a ton of pi- they nailed a ton of picks. And I, th- I honestly think that, you know, it's just a matter of time before it, it works out for them uh, down the road. It's Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville had a very good draft. Uh, they made a number of picks defensively that added depth to the roster to an already lethal defense. Uh, you know, the only knock uh, I would say that you can make a, in, in uh, Jacksonville's case is the fact that uh, in terms of... Uh, a raw quarterback play, you know, the Jags made it a little bit of a questionable pick. As, you know, as bad as Blake Bortles is, Tanner Lee is even less qualified to be a quarterback in the National Football League. So Blake's job is safe once again because uh, the Jags decided to waste, and I I do mean waste, uh, because even though it was a six-round pick, that's still a waste uh, using it on a Nebraska quarterback. I mean, come on. It that's the that really is the only knock I have against the Jags. Otherwise, 
I probably would have put him in a tie with New England. But that 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 Tanner Lee pick was just hot garbage. Uh, but uh, going into what the Jags did, uh, DJ Chark, uh, you know, the Jags needed some wide receiver help. Chark is a very good uh, wideout from LSU. Didn't really have uh, much in terms of a passing game or any kind of offensive creativity on the behalf of the LSU coaching staff. Uh, you know, and he's used to quarterbacks not having much of an arm, so he'll fit right in with uh, catching passes from Blake Bortles. Uh, but uh, in terms of some of the defenders that Jacksonville got, uh, Taven Bryan from Florida is an absolute beast. He's a rotational guy that, you know, will cause absolute havoc in at the next level. And Ronnie Harrison for Alabama. Uh, the fact that he slipped to the third round, again, this is one of the reasons why I was a little bit annoyed with the Giants for not making more trades and being active in the draft because there were guys in the secondary slipping left and right and the Giants were just standing pat. Made no sense to me. Uh, they, uh, Jags also got uh, Will Richardson in the fourth round. Uh, you know, again, uh, a good talent, uh, had some off-the-field issues, but... You know, at that point, when you're filling out roster depth, you can start taking gambles on guys that have uh, high high ceilings like uh, Richardson. Because, again, this was a tackle that people were considering uh, uh, was going to go in the second round. So, uh, I have the Jags. Another team I want to give some uh, a shout-out to is the Jets. Uh, you know... For years, it was a go-to move of mine just to just mock the Jets for lousy drafts because they were well-deserved to be mocked for lousy drafts because they would just make these uh, incomprehensible moves just to make the, uh, the, uh, the Jets fan base happy for talk radio, which was always the dumbest idea they could do because it's still a Giants town no matter what they, the Jets do. But anyway, I digress. Uh, but the Jets this year, they actually addressed uh, a couple of concerns. Uh, they didn't get to address the offensive line, but uh, I like some of the picks that uh, the Jets had made because the Jets' defense is getting up there in age as well. So, uh, Darnold, again, Cleveland screwed up the draft yet again. Uh, you know, Darnold is the least likely quarterback to bust out of the four uh, main options uh, if, of uh, QBs that were eligible in that first round. Uh, but, you know, even with uh, the Jets and I taking a gamble on Lamar Jackson, I cannot fault the pick because the Jets have screwed up the quarterback position so many times that they just needed to take the most consistent guy that they've ever taken at the QB spot, which is Darnold. Darnold, you know, even though he doesn't do anything great, he marks out to be a quarterback in the same vein as Matt Ryan. Uh, You know, you could do a lot worse. Even though I still think Matt Ryan's overrated, uh, the Jets just need to have a consistently good quarterback to at least give the fan base a little bit of something. Not that the Jets fan base will ever take it for what it's worth they'll probably over overhype the kid yet again because that's what Jets fans tend to do uh I also see the Jets fans try to shove this in, in, in the Giants fans faces but you know 
as a as I'll get to with the Giants. The Giants they had a good draft. The Jets actually had a better draft this year. I I like uh, Shepard, uh, even though it's a D two uh, pick. Uh, you know that's a very good uh, pick uh, for uh, essentially the third round. And you know Herndon replaces a need at tight end. Uh, you got Nickerson from Tulane, the cornerback. Uh, you know he'd be a very good dime, uh, a dime and nickelback. So uh, he has a value there. Uh, late in the sixth round, and uh, uh, they also got it, it was actually back to back picks at one seventy nine and one eighty. They had uh, Foley Fatowski for uh, Connecticut, uh, basically the only guy on that UConn squad that was any worth a damn uh, the last couple of years. Uh, very good pass rusher, seen him number of games. Uh, he was also something uh, someone that I was looking at for the Giants. If they actually got some draft picks back in the back end of the draft, uh, that uh, they should have been able to consider. But uh, uh, credit to the Jets. They made a number of good roster pickups. Uh, I can't really say that the Jets didn't get anyone that can't be a contributor to this team next year. So uh, that's exactly what the Jets needed. They need immediate contributors, and that's where you kind of have to be at, depending on which stage of the life cycle for an NFL team that you look at, is just kind of identifying where you need to be and just having a set game plan. The reason why I give the Jets the credit here is that they identify that. The Giants, they had a fine draft. They, I just want to call them one of the winners of the draft because I think the Giants could have done so much more with the haul uh, given the fact that some of the draft picks being made were clearly signs of teams either uh, sticking to a game plan that you know does not seem to be readily uh, apparent to everyone else because they're 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 off they're off the reservation, or just panicking and making a rush pick. Uh, the Giants could have cleaned up on this draft even more if they traded out of the number two pick which ended up becoming the uh, uh, unofficial number one pick after the Browns debacle. But, uh, you know, a couple of moves by the Giants that could have happened uh, would have allowed them to uh, make some more acquisitions on the offensive line. And maybe you can uh, you could have opted to uh, uh, get another QB in there. Uh, because while, again... I, I talked about this with n- multiple people, so uh, I don't. Uh, I, I, for those who for those who are listening to podcasts and have heard, heard me say, uh, I'm not going to uh, bear with me, but I have to belabor the point because of the folks who hadn't heard my input on this. Uh, my issue with Kyle Lalletta in the fifth round is the fact that you still had a number of issues. On the offensive line, Tyrell Crosby, even though he has injury concerns, would have made perfect sense as a potential right tackle option for the Giants on the offensive line. Laletta, while yes, I could see him being an NFL starter in the future, I still view his ceiling more along the lines of a Chad Pennington. Uh, you know, I saw folks on Twitter going crazy saying this is the guy who's going to replace Davis Webb and Eli. You know, 
I would pump the brakes on this one. Uh, Laleta, while a very competent QP, a really g- good guy. If you uh, if you read some of the things about him, uh, he had a really nice uh, essay on the Players Tribune uh, in a, a address as a letter to NFL teams about NFL GMs about why they should draft him. A re- really upstanding guy. Seems like a guy who would be a very good locker room guy. But the reason why my comparison to uh, him is Chad Pennington, and that's about it, is the fact that Laletta does not really have a NFL caliber arm. You can't really teach arm strength. You can build the guy up, and you, you have him learn different techniques that can help him get over the top of the ball and get a little bit more length on some of his throws and better rotation on his throws. But overall, arm strength, you can't teach. So there's always going to be an inherent limitation with Laletta. Now, I say that is that you can be successful in the NFL without having arm strength. Chad Pennington proved that. It's just the fact that I don't think Laletta will ever be as accurate as Chad Pennington either. So there's a trade-off there. So, you know, while I think Laletta can be a serviceable NFL QB, I don't see a true NFL starter. I see him being a guy who can get you into the playoffs, and that would be just about it. He's not winning you a playoff game. So, to me, if I'm the Giants and I got a fan base that's looking to uh, try to win now, you've already made the splashy pick with Saquon Barkley, why not load up and get some more beef on the offensive line and guys who are going to be able to compete for the job? Now, they may go after that through the un- uh undrafted free agents that didn't get uh, drafted uh, uh, today. But, uh, you know, the Giants missed out on some opportunities to really distance themselves uh, because as much as I like uh, and I I rave about Will Hernandez and Lorenzo Carter throughout the college season, uh, you know, Hernandez is going to be a a big pickup for us uh, just because he fills the hole that, Pew left behind at, at guard, and Carter is uh, top of the line uh, pass rushing linebacker slash edge rusher and a three four defense. He's going to be havoc on team, so he's going to be on, on the defensive line. He's going to drop back uh, in coverage. He's going to do quite a bit for the Giants. So I, I I love the pick for Carter. I tend to gush over the Georgia guys just because I saw how many NFL ready uh, guys that they had for a team not named Alabama. Uh, Georgia really did uh, outdo themselves uh, this past year. But uh, I loved Carter. Uh, B.J. Hill from NC State, the nose tackle, uh, works uh, pretty well as a guy you can rotate uh, in and out of the lineup uh, for snacks if uh, it looks like snack is getting tired. So I like that from a depth pos- uh, position. And R.J. McIntosh from the U., uh, is a very good pickup uh, in that fifth round for a 3-4 defense because he's uh, he's uh, particularly an edge rusher, but he can drop back and uh, uh, cover uh, cover receivers as well. So the Giants had an early day. It's just that I think they could have made it a spectacular day if they had decided on doing some different trades to trade back in the draft to get more picks on the back end because – the amount of talent I was still seeing not being picked amongst certain teams had me thinking that uh, a lot of uh, squads realized that uh, there were uh, diamonds in the rough that they had missed out on uh, because uh, you know they didn't have enough draft picks.
But, uh, you know, overall, it was a very good draft for the Giants. It's just that I wouldn't put it up there with some of the teams that I thought did a bit better, such as New England. Uh, you, you got the Jet, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and, of course, the Jets. Uh, but uh, there were plenty of looter, losers in uh, this NFL draft. And, you know, it's not because of the players, but it just seemed to be just all over the place in terms of dysfunction. So, again, Cleveland, uh, not to kick a dog while they're down, but, I mean, the handling of the first-round picks really just kind of set the tone for the rest of what Cleveland was going to do. Uh, I, Although I love the Nick Chubb signing, uh, and uh, I mean, drafting, uh, I'm just not sure how excited Nick Chubb's going to uh, be there uh, to be drafted by the Browns of all teams. But, uh, you know, that's a good uh, pickup uh, uh, in the draft uh, from uh, the running back position because I had Chubb uh, very close to Barkley. It, it's, that's why I felt as though uh, the Giants could have traded back because Chubb is not a bad consolation prize. But uh, in terms of uh, random things that the uh, Browns did, they they really did not address the last tackle spot. And I know they're going to say uh, there's a potential Corvette could go there. But, like, all the all the, the uh, breakdowns for Corvettes pointed towards the fact that he'd be undersized as a tackle. And uh, the, arm, the arm length was going to be coming uh, a greater issue. So it it's just seems to be the fact that the Browns always take one step forward, two steps back. But uh, there were a number of other picks that uh, had uh, concerns. Uh, one being Antonio Callaway from Florida, the wide receiver. Uh, he had a number of uh, issues off the field with um, uh, drugs and alcohol. And, you know, while J- uh, Josh Gordon has recovered and... You know, you hope he can be kind of a more stabilizing influence. You never know with a guy like Josh Gordon when uh, the other shoe could drop. So, uh, not necessarily the cleanest character that they could have uh, drafted, but uh, you know, they they made the move and they're they're sticking with it. So, I I, I look at the Callaway pick as something that could blow up very easily on them. Uh, Simeon Thomas uh, was a late round pick that no one had even remotely close on the draft board. So, uh, you know, I won't punish them too harshly for that one. But, uh, you know, just the fact that uh, they went with Mayfield, who's undersized and doesn't really have a true uh, protector on the, of the blind side. Uh, you know, they, you can make all the comparisons to Russell Wilson as you want, but... If you don't have speed, you're not going to outrun NFL uh, pass rushers. Uh, you know, it, it could be a rough opening year for uh, uh, Mayfield just until Cleveland can get its act together because uh, at the end of the day, uh, he is the franchise now. So they got to figure out how to protect him. I just don't think they did it through the draft. So they're going to have to figure out a way through free agency to attract uh, folks uh, uh uh, uh, to well, at least to find folks to uh, protect Mayfield because again, if they allow him to get take too many hits early, and that causes him to start altering his mechanics, 
all that accuracy uh, stuff that people were talking about is going to go well uh, uh, beyond the wayside. I mean, he will turn into the Johnny Mandel uh, bust uh, that they uh, end up having to deal with very quickly. Another team that made no sense whatsoever was the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs uh, did not have a ton of draft picks, so I think part of it ended up being that they uh, thought that some of the guys that they had been scouting uh, were going to go by the wayside, so they made some really questionable reaches uh, in terms of players. Uh, the Speaks pick in the, uh, in the second round was one of them. The Nandi pick was another reach. Dorian O'Daniel in the fifth round was another reach. Uh, you know, there were just too many reaches going on, and it seemed to be a case where, uh, again, the Chiefs not having early first-round picks started believing that uh, they were going to be in danger of getting jumped by some of these teams and uh, ended up kind of overshooting the window uh, for drafting some of these players uh, but were willing to look like they were reaching way too early rather than missing out on their guys. Uh, but that's really not a sound strategy, in my opinion. I'd rather have, uh, you know, proper valuation of uh, my uh, draft capital, if you will, because trading away too many picks leaves you in a, a spot where you can be hamstrung sooner than later. So I, I just don't think the Chiefs did themselves that many favors. And, of course, it was the byproduct of trading for Patrick Mahomes, uh, last year, so if Mahomes pans out as the franchise QB, then it's still worth it. But if not, uh, this was a very risky gamble. All right, so getting into uh, the other teams that I thought just did a horrendous job, uh, I got to talk about uh, the Oakland Raiders. Uh, now being led by John Gruden in his second go around with the team. Uh, my issues stem from the fact that I honestly think that John Gruden's prep process had a lot to do with players he just liked watching on Monday Night Football rather than how they're actually going to fit uh, together once they're on the field. Case in point, the Raiders trade a third-round pick to the Steelers for Martavis Bryant. The same Martavis Bryant who's been suspended by the league Twice for substance abuse issues, so he's already faced a year-long suspension. The same Martavis Bryant, who is such a uh, malcontent in the locker room, the Steelers literally sent him home and deactivated him to try to straighten him out last year. What's going to happen when Derek Carr starts throwing more to Jordy Nelson uh, than Bryant, and he starts chirping? Uh, You know... These are issues that Brian had last year with the Steelers. And, you know, the Steelers put up with it because they needed uh, they needed uh, uh, someone else to complement uh, what they had with Antonio Brown. And Juju Smith-Schuster, while he was coming on as a rookie, yet still want a veteran hand in there running routes just cause you, so you don't overcommit yourself to the rookie. Uh, the, now that uh, Schuster uh, is no longer a rookie, uh, you know, Bye-bye, Martavis. Uh, and the fact that they were going to get a, a third-round pick out of it is ridiculous. But, uh, you know, that is just uh, kind of summing up how I felt about the Raiders draft because there were some head-scratchers uh, being in there with guys being picked way too early. 
But the Raiders had a game plan of, we're going to figure out a way of protecting Derek Carr regardless of draft positioning. And that's where I think Gruden was struggling mightily was the fact that he was overvaluing the players rather than where they were taken in the draft. So, you know, it could be that Gruden doesn't give a damn about it, but, you know, at the end of the day, even though you don't uh, want to go full analytics, at least acknowledging uh, certain aspects that need to be corrected will be worthwhile. The other thing that the Raiders did that just drove me nuts was the fact that they used a fifth-round pick on a punter. Mind you, realistically, the only time you should be using a fifth-round pick on a special teams player is if he's got such a breakaway speed that he's a threat with every uh, time he touches the ball, and maybe he's just lousy as a receiver. Because usually if they have game-breaking speed like that, then you use him as a wide receiver. Uh, The other problem is the fact that on special teams, the only guy you really look to draft would be a kicker, because at least they could put up points for you. Uh, the problem here with the Raiders is they had a Pro Bowl punter uh, by the way of Marquette King. Gruden got rid of him, citing that he didn't like Marquette King's attitude. Hello, you literally just traded for Mark, uh, Tavis Bryant, who gets into trouble f- far more often than uh, I-, I would say Mark Tavis Bryant has caused more waves in two weeks than Marquette King did in his entire career. If anything, Gruden could have just had the conversation with King, just saying, I need you to tone down your act on uh, social media, son, because you're paying you a lot of money, and you know I'm not seeing the professionalism. He could have easily had that conversation. Instead, he cuts Marquette King at the drop of a hat. You bring in a bunch of rand- random guys, uh, and uh, you know one of the picks, I mean... The guy literally, uh, uh, so uh, (laughs) I'll 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 tell you the reason why he slipped so far into the fifth round. Uh, The reason why is the fact that uh, in terms of some of the other prospects, uh, and you know, you get interesting stories all the time uh, in terms of players, but uh, uh, the, the issue with Arden Key is the fact that he literally had to go to marijuana rehabilitation while he was at LSU because he was addicted to smoking pot. Uh, you know, again, when you have free time and disposable income in the NFL, that's probably not one of the things you want your player doing, getting himself popped for uh, substance abuse issues. Uh, that's another issue uh, altogether, but, uh, you know, uh, the the Raiders had uh, a number of problem incidents uh, over the last couple of years. So to stick their nose into yet another uh, problem case is uh, very confusing. Next up, the other reason why I just kind of looked at uh, the Raiders uh, draft and uh, had num- more questions than answers is the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, they drafted a number of receivers, traded for a receiver, and signed Jordy Nelson. I don't know about you, but Derek Carr is going to have so many new faces to throw the football to. 
you know, some of those guys are definitely going to wash out. So you expended way too much capital addressing one position that really wasn't that weak of a position because if you kept Michael Crabtree and uh, uh, you you brought uh, you told Marmar Cooper he's got to step it up, you would have gotten production out of him anyway. Uh, it just reeked of being a bit unprepared and over uh, overanalyzing exactly your weaker areas. I mean, you can't just improve one of them at the expense of the other. So uh, that was more food for thought as to uh, some of the losers of the draft. Now, like I said, this is gonna, always going to be an inexact science. I'll go through every single team uh, in terms of the draft uh, and what they did uh, probably tomorrow. But uh, my uh, I'm going to turn my attention to the NBA because uh, we're running a little bit low on time with Game 7 uh, right on the horizon here. But uh, you got the... Uh, uh, Bucks and Celtics uh, playing TD Bank Garden. Uh, I look at this as a case where Boston, even though they are the inferior team in terms of a talent level without Kyrie Irving, they have a chance of being able to close this out on their home floor and at least uh, be able to demonstrate that they've got a ton of talent uh, throughout the uh, throughout their roster and that they're going to be taking over the East come next year once they get everyone healthy because uh, between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you got <laughs> very dangerous wing scores that also have a tremendous wingspan so they can guard uh, guys like uh, LeBron. Well, I wouldn't say guard them, more like slow them down because you're not gonna you're not really going to guard them because you can't hand check anymore, but at least you can slow them down. Now, on the flip side... Uh, Milwaukee clearly has the best player in Giannis. If Giannis goes off and has a monster game, uh, Milwaukee's going to win this game. I just don't see him being able to score 50-plus points uh, tonight on the road. Uh, I I just look at this as a case where uh, Boston's eventually going to pull this one out. It's just a matter of time when. Uh, So as long as they uh, stick to the game plan, they should be able to see it through. the line is set at the Boston being favored by a little four and a half. Uh, that sounds about right to me. I, I would take that and say that uh, the Celtics are going to cover. Uh, but uh, I've been wrong before, and uh, especially when it comes to movies, it looks is uh, especially when it comes to uh, well series that play out uh, kind of like a movie set where you, you you've got the the injured star and you got the team rallying together. Uh, this this screams like a case where Boston gets it done uh, heading into uh, uh, the next round, which uh, should be uh, pretty interesting, all things considered, uh, because uh, uh, that Philly team poses a number of issues for both these squads, no matter who makes it out of there, uh, that I would take Philly in the next round, uh, uh, regardless of whomever wins. So... Uh, with that being said, uh, and uh, just a, a pick in Boston, uh, we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook. Because the Oklahoma City Thunder got knocked out of the playoffs yet again. And, you know, people could talk about how great Russ played, but at the end of the day, as a point guard, your job is to figure out a way of uh, getting 
getting your uh, best players involved in the game. Paul George was missing in action throughout most of the game, and people were going to point to the fact that Paul George was passing up shots. Paul George did not feel comfortable taking jump shots last night. He didn't feel it. He didn't. Uh, he just didn't think that uh, it was fair to the team to keep taking jump shots when he keeps missing. Meanwhile, you got Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, jacking up three-pointers, shooting air balls, and genuinely not running the offense. Uh, I mean, Russ ended up going, uh, I believe the final tally was 7 of 19 uh, and 18 of 40, uh, 40, uh, 44, uh, or maybe 18 of 46, uh, uh, thereabouts, uh, in terms of shooting percentages uh, for the game and the amount of shots he took. You know, even though he put up numbers and he scored over 40 points again, the amount of shots that Russ takes uh, is just too high. It's it's not an efficient way of running an offense, and he deservedly got called out for that. Uh, you know, if I'm a Lakers fan, I am over the moon because Paul George, in all, for all intents and purposes, unless uh, he's got this unshakable friendship now with... Uh, 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 with uh, Westbrook, I can easily see him going out the door and uh, uh, not being exactly uh, uh, asked to stay on by uh, Westbrook. Uh, I, I think at, at the end of the day, uh, the narrow's kind of set. It's just a matter of uh, whether or not Westbrook is willing to change the narrative. But by all accounts, he talked about how vulgar the fans were and that he didn't appreciate having a phone in his face, so he went after uh, trying to knock the phone out of a, a fan's hand. Uh, you know, it just seems as though uh, Westbrook is far too concerned about the opinions of others uh, to render her own verdict uh, on the matter. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, unless uh, Westbrook is more willing to engage in the offense and making assists in the office that may not necessarily tie to his numbers, but could tie to... Uh, some other unexplained mysteries that uh, they pe- that people just gave up on because there were no new clues, uh, uh, which these kids seem to uh, which uh, se- seems to indicate to me that uh, uh, you know Westbrook just cannot uh, play with others that are inferior to him. But you know, unless Russ feels the pressure from a str- another great superstar player which should have happened with Paul George. It didn't. Russ just, again, uh, ran it like you. Uh, it was like last night, uh, uh, glass night and the pimps. Uh, because, uh, you know, I just don't see where there's a partnership. I, I, I look at this as Russ is just uh, kind of like a, uh, a, a, sh- a chef that just yells at his sous cooks and takes the credit for everything that get puts out of the kitchen and will... Uh, just kind of deflect the tension away when things don't go according to plan. Uh, I just look at this as a scenario where Carmelo Anthony was a complete non-factor and won't uh, accept going to a bench role. And Paul George, who has so many options of free agency this season, once he takes a moment to decompartmentalize and just look at the season as a whole, I think even he would would have felt that he could have done more for this team if... Uh, if it had been made available uh, uh, to him. So uh, just a number of things to uh, kind of keep in mind for 
the future with uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, but uh, not the least of which is who's going to play with Russell Westbrook because at this stage, uh, it's looking more and more like the one-man show uh, with uh, with each passing game in that series. And even though he had a great series, uh, you know, one guy does not win a team basketball game. So uh, more to come from uh, Oklahoma City, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we do see a, a case where uh, Russ uh, gets a little bit more uh, effort uh, into working within the confines of a set structure offense rather than having to be the one creating things on his own because he's not following a set play. Anyway, uh, that's all I have for tonight because uh, we got the game seven coming up now, so I'm going to close it up now. Uh, my pick still remains the Celtics. Uh, I didn't get into baseball, but uh, uh, I do have the Yankees uh, being able to uh, extend their streak to eight games uh, after that win last night. So uh, I, I think the Yankees uh, uh, take another game from the Angels, make it eight eight games in a row, and uh, they're off to the races. So uh, that's all for now, but uh, have a good one, folks, and enjoy the games. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.